So hey, thanks again for uh, connecting with us here at Lake Point Church. And I'm going to kick it off with a couple thought-provoking questions. You ready? Here we go. If you had the cure for cancer, and you also had a friend with a tumor, would you tell them about the cure you have? You, you, you would, wouldn't you? I, I think you would. What if, uh, uh, what if, what if you uh, found someone who was starving and you knew where to find bread? Would you tell that person? I, I, I bet you would again. How about this? If, if you knew someone who needed saving, saving from their brokenness, saving from regret and shame and everything that we carry, saving at a soul level, saving at a life-giving forever level, and you knew the gospel of Jesus, would you tell them? See, that's how these things are supposed to move. It's Jesus is everything in that and then so much more than that as well. Either Jesus is Lord and worth everyone bowing to, or he's just another teacher and activist to reference from time to time. Either Jesus is everything that everyone needs, or he's just another thing that takes up our time. Either Jesus is worth your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole strength, or he's just another thing amongst the pile of others. Either Jesus saves Saves you, saves me, saves the next person who's needing saving. Or we all got something better to do. I do believe Jesus is Lord. I do believe that he is first in all things. And I do believe that he saves. And if he is the one that saves, then it's worth telling everyone about him. Uh, you see, if I could back up a little bit, we've been on a journey uh, as a church. If we go all the way back to October, Lake Point, uh, in recent months, we've, we, we took some time to dare to dream of what it would be like to be disciple makers. And then we prayed for our friends. And then we prepared our calling. And now it's time to do something with that calling and do something for those friends and to do for them that which matters most. And what matters most is Jesus. Jesus first in all things. To care for a friend, to love a friend, there's nothing more loving that you can do for them than to tell them about what Jesus has done for them. So uh, we're going to go back to the book of Jonah again. That's what the whole uh, series in the month of February has been built on and referencing him. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on you, you're, you're free to open at this time. We will have the words for you on the screen as well. And I'm going to be in Jonah chapter 3 today. We're going to do the whole chapter. And as I read through, I'll stop and give a little commentary as we go. So here we go. Jonah chapter 3, starting with line 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Because if you've been here the last two weeks, you know where the first time ended up for him. Uh, uh, here, here's his second chance. Last time, he went 2,400 miles in the wrong direction that God didn't have him go. He ended up in the belly of a fish, and now he's getting back on track through that. Nothing like getting a second chance to do what you're supposed to do in the first place, and that's what Jonah's getting from God. Line two says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This great city of Nineveh, had a population of 120,000, 60 miles wide. It was the capital city of the world empire of Assyria at that day, and also known for all sorts of indecent behavior, terrible ways they treat people, crude ways of relating to one another, and that's where God has them go. 
Verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it's actually amazing that he makes this through this thing in three days, right? It's 60 miles wide. So the dude's covering like 20 miles a day. He is not stopping to explain this message. He's just kind of like scattering it here and there and everywhere as he makes his way through town, uh, covering 20 miles uh, per day, saying Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. And it sounds like a doom and gloom message from God, but it's actually a message of mercy. When God intervenes in our story to tell us, if you keep going in this direction, here is where you end, and the end is now in sight, whoa, I got a little time to turn this thing around. So it's actually an act of mercy on God's behalf. Here's how people respond. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now here's what these two things mean, a fast and a sackcloth. Sackcloth is like burlap. It's about as rough and ragged as, uh, as clothing fabric gets. It's porous. It's a way of kind of just, just showing your poverty, showing your humility. Almost like nowadays, like you go to a funeral and people wear black. Well, it's, it's all that and far more dramatic of just like getting down there with the, with the basic elements and fasting as well, saying like, I'm, I am foregoing my essentials for living life right now until I get back on track. It's a sign of deep, deep regret. It's repentance. They don't know where they're going yet, but they're like, I'm, I don't want to go this direction anymore if it's going to end in destruction. News gets to the king, verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. That's a big thing when a king does this and joins in as well. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give, their evil, give up their evil ways. And their violence, who knows? Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, there's something really admirable here that the king jumps in and makes sure everyone is on board in, in this nation, that they're repenting, they're turning back from God, they're doing the sackcloth, they're doing the fasting. But you also got to look at them and say, it's a bunch of idiots in this story. Right? Well, tell, tell me, uh, uh, why, why are you putting sackcloth on a cow? What does a cow need to repent of? There's nothing a cow can repent of. All they do is eat, poop, and become a cheeseburger someday. Like, that is the direction of a cow. So why is this cow supposed to change direction? Like, people are running around, they're like rounding up little chickens, right? And then popping a head hole for a chicken in a burlap bag, throwing it on the chicken, setting the chicken back on the ground. But this time, oh, the little chicken, you don't get any bird seed today because you're fasting. It's just stupid, right? But it's so often, like, we, we get these odd knee-jerk responses to, to, the, to God, the God that we follow. Understand, they don't know God. 
All I got is this brief interruption from God to say, you're going down the wrong direction and it's going to end badly for you. That's all they got to go with. And, and so they, like, like, like we and in our time, and maybe this was like it was when you first had any sort of connection to God, when you encounter a righteous God, your first response is to realize just how wrong you are in comparison to his righteousness. And so we all do these spontaneous things. Like this is where people start bargaining with God of, man, God, I'll, I'll do this for you, I promise, as long as you do this for me. Or we make big promises of, hey, I'll never ever do blank again. Or, or we're just going to work harder and become better people so God's not mad at us anymore. Listen, that's not what God wants from any of us. We have a great gospel in Jesus of a God who loves, of a God who gifts us, and the God who gets it done for us. He's not looking for you to do something. He knows you can't do enough. And so he sent his son to do that which needed to be done, to cover your guilt, to set up your new life. And so now all there is is for us to believe. That's, that's Jesus. That's the message of Jesus right there. And that's truth. But these guys don't get all of that in the moment. These guys in Nineveh are so far away from truth at this point. They look like a bunch of idiots, but they're idiots with a changed heart. And God's like, I can, I can work with that. Anyone whose heart is open to go in another direction, I'll, I'll meet them there. So the last line that we get in chapter three is this. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So what are people like you and I supposed to gather from a story like this 2,700 years ago? Uh, first of all, you, you just gather the story of God as he is, okay? Um, Sorry, I got distracted by something uh, for a second there. Um, yeah, as, as much as we want to jump into the application part of things, we, we just appreciate the story of God as it is. And the story of God in the story is he's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. Even the worst of worst people, he, he went after. And he can respond to even the dumbest of dumb people. That should give hope for, for, for anyone, right? And so to just like back up and appreciate that that's who our God is. Praise Jesus that he will work with any changed heart and praise Jesus that he's the one who's at work to change those hearts. But as you do get into the story of God, the story of God does mesh with our humanity. So people like you and I, we do find, uh, we, we do find application for ourselves. And, and here's what it is. If God had tapped the shoulder, shoulder of a hoodlum like Jonah to grow proclaim a message to where it was needed most, He's going to tap the shoulder of a joker like you too and say, I still got a message and I still got broken people out there that need to hear it and I'm sending you to go say what needs to be said. And so Jonah got out there and he said it. Now, I want to kind of spread this out today. I want to spread this out so you see the sociology behind the theology that, that we're talking about. And when I say that you've got something to go say to someone from God, like I know immediately, boom, like that just like polarizes a room of an expectation of what that means. There are plenty of people that say, it's about time. 
We ought to tell sinful people about their sins. Someone's got to preach out against stuff like that. Someone's got to call them back to the God that they're supposed to be coming from. Someone's got to tell them to repent. And so, hey, let's, let's go find someone on the street this afternoon and tell them, man, do you know where you're going if you died tonight? And if not, let me tell you about Jesus. Or let me find the next sporting event that's going on. We're going to preach out against abortion. We're going to preach out against sexuality. And we're going to preach out against sub- substance abuse and things like that. Let's just holler them all back to God. That's one camp. And you got another camp that says, uh, whatever they said, I'm going to just do the opposite of all that. So if you ever get around to talking about Jesus, it comes out something to the effect of a timid invitation of like, um, uh, maybe, I don't want to offend you, but I'm just going to ask, maybe, maybe just maybe you'd want to come to church with me? On Sunday, maybe. No, I didn't mean any offense. And you probably don't want to, I understand. So forget I said anything, but maybe, no, no, you probably wouldn't want to. Okay, like that is like the two versions that people have in their mind of what it means to speak out and say something on Jesus' behalf. But the problem with either of these extremes is, is that it takes the greatness of the gospel of King Jesus and totally disregards the humanity of Jesus. Jesus wore our flesh. Jesus knew our world. Jesus knew what it was like to be a person. And when he talked to people, he talked to them like they were people. One camp takes the living of water of Jesus and puts it in a fire hose and knocks people over. The other one takes the living water and puts it in an eyedropper. It never gives you enough to satisfy thirst. One, one is so full of truth and it's void of grace. And the other is working so hard on being conscientiously gracious never gets around to giving you any truth. You know, our next series in the month of March, we will talk you through how to talk about Jesus. We are going to get you gospel fluent. Get it down to a few simple words and a few simple concepts that anyone can go around and explain what the story of God is. And you can take your own story in God and use these same basic words and phrases and capture your story. And then you're going to look around and realize, oh, I, I see that Everyone's story and everyone where they're at, they, they match these God's story pieces as well. And out of that, you're just going to be able to have a gospel-fluent conversation wherever you go in everyday life. That's, that's where we're going in March. Come, come back for that. If you stick with us four weeks in March, I promise you, we can get you there. But today, before we send anyone out to open their mouth, we're just going to spend, spend some time understanding the relationship that you're in front of the social connection that's in front of you, the everyday life, the everyday relationship, and what it's like for you to join them as they go through the journey of discovering this God who loves them. Okay? Uh, there was a, a book a, a friend recommended to me a while back, and I do love it. It's, uh, it's by Don Everts. The book is I Once Was Lost. I Once Was Lost. And, and in it, he explains the five thresholds of faith. Five thresholds that any person's generally going to walk through before they discover Jesus in their life. And when you see this progression, you also start to see, here's how I, as a friend, can join them and walk with them along the way as they go there. And I can be the one that helps them. So uh, the rest of the message today is going to come out somewhere between being a, a book report and a, and a couple stories from my wife and I and, and our neighbors. Okay? So here we go. Threshold number one. Trust. You can build a whole lot in trust and you can break everything 
on a trust issue as well. Until there is a base level of trust between you and another person, there is nowhere that you and that journey is going to intersect with another. Okay, so uh, it seems to me that every single person has their story of where they got hurt by a church or got burned by a Christian. Am I right on this? Like, if you are in the room today, or you can raise your hand, or if you are in uh, online today, I don't know, hit the like button or something like that. But if that is your story, if you have ever been hurt by a church or burned by a Christian, uh, raise your hand at this particular time. All right, we're, we're turning it about 95% here, okay? Because that is most people's stories. And quite honestly, it's the biggest reason why so many people want nothing to do with Jesus or at least nothing to do with a Christian who would be willing to help them discover Jesus. We, we got to understand, people, we are not working from ground zero. The church has dug a hole for itself. All of us who wear the name of Jesus have somehow contributed to digging this hole, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work to get back up to ground level. And trust is the work at hand. The, the journey of faith for someone usually does take place when an individual of outside of faith forms a trusted relationship with someone who is inside the faith of Jesus. You're just a friend. Period. There's no strings that you attach to this whatsoever. If it turns out your friend is never interested in any conversation about Jesus, you would no less be a friend to them. That's what the kind of trust that we're talking about having. And the, the early chapters of the, the book that the Lake Point Pastors created for you is all about discovering just that. What it means to make a meaningful connection. Remembering someone's name. Sharing a meal. Listening, really listening to the story. It's just becoming the kind of person that someone else could trust in their life. Uh, consequently, if, if, if you've ever wondered, why does Lake Point Church double their facility as a community center in the week? Like, why do we have... One day of church and six days of community center here. Why would we let someone else bring their wedding in? Why, why, why could someone have their, 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 their bridal shower here? Why could they have their birthday party? Why do we welcome fundraiser events like beer fest? Why is it on a Monday night when I'm trying to lead a Bible study in, in one room, is it getting hard to, to hear each other because we got a bunch of Girl Scouts running circles in our commons area because we give those rooms to free to the Scouts? Like, why? And why do we get excited about that? It's because we wouldn't want, in our community, anytime someone raises their hand and says, hey, I want nothing to do with that because I got hurt by a church or burned by a Christian, we want someone right next to that person to say, wait a second, wait a second. But I do know a church that did something good for me. Because when I had a party, they hosted it. Or when I went to a fundraiser, it was there. And I also want them to get to the point of saying, and I got a friend in my life that I trust. And they happen to be a Christian. Trust makes all the difference. Trust gets us back up to ground zero and being able to represent Jesus to people. And so in your relationship, start asking questions like this, okay? Trust-based questions of, hey, what's, what's your family like? It's a question that really wants to understand who they are. What, what is it like for you growing up? What do you like or dislike? Or when they say something, hey, can you tell me more about that? Just genuinely wanting to know someone is the basic framework of how trust is formed. Okay, that was threshold one. And someday, people cross it. Threshold two is called curiosity. 
And it tends to be something that unfolds over time. It's, it's, it's when the person goes from the posture of, I don't know and I don't care, to, I don't know, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'd care. The door's open on this now. Uh, nothing does this like relationships can do this. If someone were able to say right now, you know, the person in my life that knows me best, the person who listens to me best, the person who seems to care the most, the, the, the one that I can trust to tell real stuff to, that, that person, you know, they're a Christian. What do you think that does for someone? Do you, do you think it gets their wheels spinning? I, I think it does. It's, it's not, that's not the moment in which everything's going to flip for the inside out for them, but it gets some questions going of like, hey, what, what, what makes a Christian that kind of friend anyway? What about Jesus might have made them that way? And is there anything about this Jesus that might make some kind of difference for me too? It's just curiosity. Okay, so if I could back up and like share part of my story. The, uh, for Melissa and I, the last neighborhood that, that we lived in uh, before this, um, we, we moved in there. And it was like month one and leaves are falling. You got to do the raking thing. And uh, you got to figure out how, how does leaf uh, pickup look in this community? I don't know why municipalities don't get together and come up with one single way to pick up a leaf. But wherever you move, wherever you go, it's always different, right? So now we got to figure out what, what do I do with the leaves that I just rake? And so uh, my darling, wa- darling wife has this idea of she's, she's just going to walk into someone else's yard, whatever neighbor she can find out there, and ask them, what do we do with leaf pickup in this community? You think that my darling little wife chose the family who have kids about the same age as ours, cute little kids that we'd want to relate to anyway? No. Uh, Do you think that my darling wife chose to go over to the the family that had the teenage daughters that we ought to meet because that's prime candidates for the babysitting that we need to get done? No. Do you think that my darling wife chose the, 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 the artist neighbor who had one leg and a wild personality and a ton of fun stories? No, she didn't pick that guy either. What my wife chooses to do is pick the muscle-bound former college football lineman with biceps bigger than my face, with tattoo artwork bigger than the, the, the artwork in my home, shaved top, always looking angry. I watch from the front porch as my wife chooses that guy is the one she's going to get off the curb, trample into his yard and say, hey, what do you do with leaves in this city anyway? You know what I did? I did what any man would do, any, any man inside of Jesus. I stayed on my front porch and I prayed for her. <laughs> I said, dear Jesus, don't let her die today because this is, does not look like it's going to uh, end well. And, and sure enough, the guy who's raking his leaf turns He's got the same angry look on his face that he's got every day. But then he turns it into kind of a curious look like, who the heck are you? No one in this neighborhood comes and talks to me. And then it turned into the smile, the smile of, you know, no one in this neighborhood comes and talks to me. But little Skippy here, little, little brownie Girl Scout, she's coming over to talk now. And you know, that was the start of trust. Not, not that day, but it started. It was talking to a person just like they were any person. And what happened from there with his wife and him and his two daughters is that threshold started to be crossed as we shared the bus stops 
as we shared the patio meals together, as we shared the conversations, as we talked about sports. Uh, They just weren't used to that kind of relationship being in front of them. And it made them, threshold number two, curious. It helped that we were curious about them. You know, curiosity breeds curiosity. And we just wanted to know them. So we're asking questions like this. What's the most important thing for you guys? You know, like what, is, what, what really makes you tick? What's the biggest hope that you have for your kids? Everyone lights up and loves talking about their kids. Everyone's got a picture of how they, what they hope for their kids in life. Uh, if, if you could do college all over again, what would you do differently? What rubs you, what, what you wrong about the world? Or about the church? Okay? Curiosity is happening. And eventually, we're at threshold number three, where people are open to change. Now, this is, I'm going to say this here, this is the hardest one to, to get through, okay? Uh, most people, most people, a lot of people, I don't know how many people, a lot of people, if they're going to stall out, they're going to stall out here. And they might go back to the other stages, or they might stay here for who knows how long. However, this is the stage where you really get to see the Holy Spirit at work in someone else's life, asking questions like, what do you wish for most? What's your biggest hope in life, period? Uh, Any big regrets that stick with you? How about a fear? Anything you've ever wondered about God and how he fits into all of this? Now, if those questions sound personal to you, good. Because you have a personal relationship with this person. These are not square one conversations, but we're not at square one anymore. We're at square three, is there even a phrase like that? I don't know. But that's, that's where we're at. We're at threshold three with, with them. Trust is already there. And so this is the way you can kind of talk to people. I mean, don't you wish you had a friend like this in your life that talks to you about real stuff? They share their real selves with you and they ask real questions about how you really are. Something more than how's the weather and how do you feel about masks and you know, who do you think the pack is going to draft this year? Like, Doesn't the same old sometimes just feel same old to you? And if someone were to come along talking real stuff, like every time that real friend was around, real conversations took place, wouldn't you want a real friend like that in your life? And if so, then let's be that kind of real friend to someone else. So with with those neighbors, we talked about marriage. Like where our marriage was really at, not a layer that we just share with someone on, on the sidewalk, but with someone that we trusted, and in turn, they're like, yeah, you know what, us too, here's the real stuff in our marriage. Uh, me and the dad, we, we talk sports, but it transitioned from talking box scores all the time to talking about what youth sports is doing for the development of kids and what they don't do for the development of kids, and man, how, how do we as dads respond to that? Uh, Melissa would talk finances. Like, everyone cares about finances. There's, there's a piece of everyone's heart attached to, to their money. And as the two wives got together and talked, man, all the amazing conversations came out. And during all of this, bits and pieces of Jesus are coming out in the conversation. It's not because we had a side agenda. It's not because we were looking for some sly way to slide it in. But the fact of the matter is you get to know the, the real Brian and Melissa Hoffmeister. You get to know the real Jesus that they know too. Like, we cite our sources. You can't help to know. Like, I can't talk about how to develop a kid 
without relating it to my faith in Jesus. I just don't know how. It's like taking the floor out front of me. And Melissa doesn't know how to talk about organizing family finances with part of faith and Jesus being a part of it. It's just the real us. So if we're going to have a real relationship, Jesus is going to go along with it. And they're fine with it. Because that's all it was. It wasn't a side agenda. Curiosity was happening. And fourth from there, it moves for searching. Okay, now this is where gas is kind of like thrown on the fire. It's, it's the same direction it's always been. But if people are curious for a while, then open for a while. But at some point you're going to find that like there's a turn where urgency is taking place. There is a purpose to this search. It's not a little bit here, a little bit there. It's like, I actually got to figure out who this Jesus is, what he means to my life. Because if he's it, then he really is it. And I don't want to waste any more time not knowing. And so this is where the church was a huge help for Melissa and I. This is where our Christian friends came into play as, as well. And uh, this is where you also kind of see the difference between what church participation can look like for a person, okay? You want to know the difference between threshold four church participation and threshold three? Threshold four participation kind of looks like I'm here almost every week because I'm like soaking all this in. And if you got this thing called a missional community, I want to be in that too because that's a little extra layer of where I get to learn more. Great. And if you got any extras, things for me to take home, I want to take that home because I want to figure it out. That's where the wife was in her journey with Jesus. The husband was back at threshold three. Church participation for him looked like Sure, I'll show up for Easter just this year, just this once. And you know, there ain't no judgment in that. Let's not presume where anyone else should be, like anyone else should be further along. Because when that threshold husband, threshold number three husband, came to a church service for the first time ever in their married life with their threshold four wife, she wept. That meant the world for her. That was curiosity being expressed by him. And so uh, they joined, she joined our missional community and her kids got into the kids program and we kept asking questions, questions like this. These are searching questions. Is there a part of your story you want Jesus to heal? Part of you you wish Jesus could make whole? Let's talk about that for a while. Or What are the biggest questions you still have for God? Let's just put them on the table. Would you join me at my missional community? My, my church, let's, let's go along with this together. And eventually the, the searching gives way to threshold five, following. This is the point where the person says, I am ready to follow Jesus with my whole life. If I don't care what I was living for before, I'm not living for it now. He, he's in front of me, the rest is behind me. That's, there's no turning back here. And, you know, in old school outreach kind of terms, maybe people would be like, oh, my job here is done. The other soul in heaven. Time to, time to move on. And that is not the case with Jesus at all. Jesus calls us to be fishers of people. And the trick is, in fishing world, if you catch them, it's your job to clean them. Okay? Like, I, I don't actually fish, but that's what I'm told. So, like, fishers, tell me wrong. Like, is your job done because you caught a fish? No, you, you, you stick with fish a little bit longer on this process, right? And that's where the fun really comes in for you and I, okay? Picture with me this, your workplace. Like that, that, that lunch spot that you always hit on Tuesday afternoons every, anyway with your coworkers. 
Maybe this becomes the, the Tuesday afternoon where we always open our Bible now. We just read a little bit of Bible together and talk about what it means to each other. Maybe if I know you got something going on in your day, I stop at your desk and pray for you. Just, just a minute, just 60 seconds, nothing, nothing real weird here, but on a day I'm having a rough day, I'm going to ask you to stop by my desk. Or if they're in your neighborhood, maybe get in a fluency of sharing stories about what God's doing in your life. You're sharing those stories as readily as you share shovels in a snowblower. Or if the connection that you have with them is through your kids or the families that surround those kids. I mean, do you know what a neat thing is when there's like a batch of kids who know each other from school and then they know each other from sports and music and stuff like that and then you add that third layer they also know each other at church and, and that's the family that comes over for dinner and that's the family that's in your missional community talking about Jesus all the time and just picture with me like, like a kid who grows up with that they, they go from elementary school with that batch of friends into middle school with that batch of friends and then on into high school and then you're walking the, the, the hallways in that high school and you're faced with some of your bigger questions your bigger life changing identity decisions like man how am I going to make this and how am I going to stick with Jesus and then here goes a friend walking through your hallway here you're like they're chasing Jesus like I am you walk past another friend in the hallway and you're like I, yeah I know him from youth group I know him from church and then another one and then another one I'm not alone. I'm a kid who's chasing Jesus alongside others who do the same. And so are my parents, and so is our whole families, because we've been tracking together the whole time. That's a different world. That's a different community we end up with. That's everyday life. It's everyday relationships. That's the connection to Jesus around everyday life and around everyday relationships. It's, it's the single thing that we talk about every Sunday. You're here at Lake Point Church, and I believe that can happen with us. We finally turned to a friend one day and said, is there anything? Is there anything keeping you from following Jesus right now? Anything left? Any hurdles? Are you ready to believe? Are you ready to be baptized? Yeah, but baptism is just kind of that ceremony, that line where we say, yeah, I, my heart crossed the line, so I'm just showing I'm, I'm crossing the line here. Mark your calendars, last Saturday in August, telling you right now, don't plan a vacation, be here, uh, like the point's baptism service. And I want to tell you, here's my picture of it. We're already at the point where like half the people that get baptized at our church aren't even baptized by a Lake Point pastor. It's just a relationship here that means something to them. I see us getting to the point where half the people that get baptized at that baptism service don't even know the name of Lake Point Church. All they know is the name of Jesus and your name as the person who introduced them to Jesus. And they're looking at you like, hey, you going to do my baptism? And you're like, I, not me. And they're like, yeah, you. That's what it is to journey with someone. That's what it looks like when we as disciples become disciple makers of those around us. And my neighbor, back in that last community, our, our friends, they, they followed Jesus. They did get baptized. Half of the family did. You gotta accept, everyone's got a choice. And half the family went one way on it, the other half went, went, went the other way. And unfortunately, or, or maybe fortunately, I, I moved to Muskego. I'm now hanging out with y'all instead of, instead of that family, okay? So, uh, 
There's the trade-off, but they still got that church and they still got that community and they're still growing alongside of others. But just think about it, okay? Think about it. That mammoth athlete of a human being with an angry look on his face and tattoos all over him and no one in the neighborhood would talk to him with two college scholarship-bound daughters and a, and a wife who had it all together. Somehow, because some little family who had a whole lot of Jesus in their life just barges into their neighborhood on raking day. The new neighbors barge into their lawn, does a little bit of life in patio time, asks some real questions, listens for their real story, and loves them just, just a little bit, just, just a tiny piece of what Jesus' love must look like for us. Because a family did that and because God set it up, a couple more people know Jesus that wouldn't have. That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus saves us from the inside out. That life in Jesus lasts forever. That he is first now and first forever. Praise to God. Amen. It took years for that to happen. Thresholds that people had to walk over on their own time and a friend to be alongside them to walk with them the whole way. I'm just saying it's the same for you. Same for you. It's the same for that friend that you have right now. It's the same for the coworker. It's the same for that neighbor. It's the same for that person in your life who you may think is the last person who would ever be interested in hearing about Jesus. And shame on me for thinking that that man across the street would be the last person in the neighborhood who would ever be interested because he was. Jesus is what everyone needs. And we got to tell them. If Jesus is the only thing that saves, we got to live every day in our everyday relationships to make sure that he gets known. Like I said, we're going to explain more of what to say to someone about Jesus next month. But as far as today is concerned, the challenge is to listen. And this is tracking along with the book. So if you didn't get the book, free copy in the, in, in the comments area. Make sure, you, make sure you grab one, Okay. It's talking about being a good listener, listening long enough to understand someone's real stories. And I have peppered you all morning long with, with questions. I hope you remember a couple of them and apply that to someone in your everyday life this week. Ask those good questions. Be a good listener. Let's see where God goes with it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our paths would cross the next person that you intend for us. There's people around us every day, day in and day out. and It's hard to know where to start. I pray for a conversation by the end of Monday where a light bulb goes on. It's like, that is what that crazy pastor was talking about. And I'm going to ask another question. And I'm going to form a little bit of trust. And maybe someday curiosity will come and maybe there'll be an openness to change and maybe they'll search and maybe someday you just put me in someone's life so that someone else could follow your son, Jesus. I pray that you make connections like that happen. I pray that you put a big old smile on our face like we can't believe it's right there. But we know that's what you're up to. We know that you still send messengers out like you sent Jonah out to proclaim what's true. 
So I pray that you send us as well. And we see it for what it is right in front of us. For your glory in this world, we pray.